We're in the middle of a, a series called Red Lesser People, which is basically taking some of the words of Jesus that are marked in red in many Bibles, in my Bible here. The words of Jesus are directly in red, and that's what we've been looking at these last few weeks. We're going to read from John chapter 6, some more words of Jesus. Uh, if you don't have outline notes, then just raise your hand because the gospel, the gospel reading, the message is on there, which will help you, and you can make some notes about what I'm going to say as well. So this is John chapter 6, verse 1 to 13 from the New International Version. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all enough to eat, he says to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I want to start by making a confession. I am very possessive when it comes to food. That makes me feel better straight for just saying that. We had three children growing up, my wife and I, still got three children, and we would regularly, when they were tiny, go out for meals. And we would sit around the restaurant table, and my caring, sharing wife would often make this suggestion. She'd say, in order to save money and not waste food, why don't we just order two meals... And then we'll order some extra plates with knives and forks, and we'll share our meals with the children. I could never do it. I just couldn't do it. My thought was, I've got mine. You can have yours. This is mine. You get your own food. And these were my children. I've also suffered down the years with... With food envy. So we'll go out for a meal. And I, I like fish, but the rest of the family don't. So often I'd choose the fish of the day. And my sea bream would come with kind of toothpaste squeeze of uh, mashed potato on the side, a little bit of orange and green stuff, which was masquerading as vegetables. And I'd have it there in front of me. And then my wife, she'd made her order it would come. And invariably, she'd gone for Sunday roast, which had Yorkshire pudding and sweet potatoes and lots of other veg and, and, 
and, and the roast potatoes, and, and I'd look at hers, and I'd look at mine and think, what have I done? And she could see me looking, and so she'd often say, this has been my blessing down the years, because she's kind, would you like some? And I've often benefited from roast beef to go with my sea bream and such like. Sometimes, just sometimes, it's been the other way around. I, I've chosen a meal, and she's had food envy. But I want you to know, in over 30 years of marriage, never have I been able to say, would you like some? Because that's the kind of man I am. I need to get saved. Would you like some? Just hold that thought for a moment. This miracle that we read is not what really is entitled in your Bibles, the feeding of the 5,000. It's much bigger than that. It says in the passage we read there were 5,000 men. They counted the men. Let's assume there was a, a woman for every man and two children. This is really the feeding of the 20,000. That would be more accurate. Mark Batterson in this book that I've been reading called The Grave Robber, which I've been reading and I've used today in my talk, he writes this. He says, let's assume that the disciples didn't strong-arm this little boy or steal his brown bag lunch. I mean, that would be cruel. This boy gave it willingly. And this is what he adds. This was the pre-miracle that set up the miracle. I couldn't agree more. Trying to get children and grown men when it comes to food to share their food, and some women, is in the realm of the miraculous. Think about it. Those of you that have children or you've got nieces and nephews or children in your family, what's the first word, one of the first words they learn? Mine. And it can be a blanket, it can be a cuddly toy, it can be a special cup. But very soon, it's mine, my precious. There's no way they're going to share. This is mine. Some studies have been done on this. So have a look at this behind me on the screen. I'm trying to teach kids to share. That's my chocolate. Malachi, can you share with Celeste? Malachi, can you share that with Celeste? Yeah. Can you share it with Celeste? No. Malachi, 
Dad, can you give this one to Celeste, please? No. Why, you already have one. I can't believe it. he is not showing. <laughs> what about her? She's hungry. Guys, a young boy shared his lunch. That's what we read. This is the pre-miracle to the feeding of the 20,000. A young boy shared his lunch. And that one sacrificial act of giving was a catalyst for one of the most incredible miracles that Jesus ever performed. And if this boy had not shared his lunch then this miracle may not have happened. By the way, are you telling me as well that that was the only boy in a crowd of 20,000 people that had lunch? I think there was lots. Some good Jewish mothers had sent lots of children out with their lunch. But there's only one that seemed willing, so it's noted for us, to share it and give it to Jesus. Oh, of course. Jesus could have done it another way. There's lots of food miracles in the Bible. He could have done it another way. But he chose to use this boy's loaves and fishes. One of my favorite miracles of food in the Old Testament is when the children of Israel, not 20,000 of them, 2 million of them, every single day get fed with manna. That's angel bread. They, didn't, they couldn't save it up. They had to just get enough for every day. But they'd be out there every single day, and there was enough for all of them. What a miracle. Hey, they got bored with that miracle. Uh, anyone ever got bored with the miracle? They got fed up of manna, so they asked God for meat. And then they have another miracle that God provides where quail for two million people falls for a month from heaven in order to feed them. Our God can provide in all kinds of different ways. Jesus could have, this same Jesus, that is the same as God. He is not God junior. He's God in the flesh. He could have produced for these 20,000 guys manna burgers or manna souffle or quail eggs, scrambled quail eggs, or even quail eggs and bacon. Although the bacon's unlikely in a Jewish context. But nevertheless, he could have provided in many different ways. But he chose to use this boy's fish and bread. And I've gone through, and, and if you can find one, then fine. But I can't find a miracle that Jesus performs, as far as I can find, that somewhere in it, there is involved, always involved, a human element. He involves people. Of course only God can perform miracles. Why? So as he gets the glory and he gets all the praise. It's only a God who performs miracles. But if you're going to walk on water, guess what? You've got to step out of the boat. If you're going to see the Jordan open, guess what? You've got to step into the water. If you're going to walk after you've been crippled for many years, guess what? You've got to take up your bed. Guess what? If you're a blind Bartimaeus, you've got to be involved by shouting out, Son of David, have mercy on me, catching Jesus' attention. 
And so we could go on. If you want to see a miracle of healing, maybe you have to stretch out your hand because there's miracle after miracle that seems to involve human beings. And that's what happened here. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is a miracle that took place, but it didn't take place just because the guy was obedient once. He had to do something that God instructed him through the prophet seven times. Can I just encourage you? Keep on keeping on with what you're supposed to do before the miracle comes through. The stories of Naaman. Naaman was a, a Syrian commander in the army. He was proud. He was strong. He was capable. But he still had leprosy. And he needed a miracle. And a little Jewish girl, a servant girl, brought her fish and bread to him and said, Hey, I know of a prophet in Israel who could help you. And so Naaman goes to see the prophet. First he goes through royalty. Then he gets to try and see the prophet. The prophet doesn't even come out to meet him. He sends an emissary and he says to Naaman, you've got to dip in the river Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. Why not just once? Because it needed to be this long obedience seven times. And Naaman says, no way, Jose, no way. I am not going to bathe in these dirty waters. It's much cleaner back home in Damascus. And he didn't even send, he didn't even come himself. He just sent an emissary. His pride got in the way. But thankfully, there were some wise guys around him who said to him, Naaman, who knows that you might be healed if you just do. So he goes to the smelly, muddy Jordan River. Seven times he goes down. I'm only doing once. Seven more. And when he comes out, it says his skin was like that of a newborn baby. But he would have forfeited the miracle if he'd not failed to be obedient. If you put what you have, which you might not think is much, into the hands of Jesus, he can make a lot out of a little. Five loaves, two fish equals 20,000 meals plus 12 doggy bags. I don't know what happened to those doggy bags. I don't know whether they were for the 12 disciples. I don't know whether they were representing the tribes of Israel for God is a God of completion. Whatever he does, he finishes. I don't know what they represented. I don't know whether the little boy took them home to his mom and said, look, I gave my lunch away. Here's what I got back. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know the guy's name even, the little boy's name. I'm going to guess it was Stephen. Uh, and, and he just gave what he had to Jesus. Here's my question. What are you placing into the hands of Jesus that he can take and multiply? Oh, you say, what I have is so, so mundane, so natural, so humdum. Guys, this was barley bread. Barley bread is the poor man's bread. This wasn't some fresh trout that he'd caught that morning from the river. This was pickled fish. This was a poor person's meal. But he gave what he had. Oh, it's so mundane. Five loaves, two fish, just ordinary bread. But he put it into the hands of Jesus and it multiplied. He gave what was ordinary 
And Jesus made the extra. That's the Jesus we serve. If you take your finance, if you take your gifts, if you take your talents, if you take your treasure out of circulation, you will not see it multiply. You have to give it. We are never worse off by giving of our time, treasure, and talents. Never. You will never be worse off by giving. This little boy was not worse off by giving. His giving meant he was involved in a miracle. And I'm talking about him. We're calling him Stephen for today for illustrative purposes. I'm talking about him today 2,000 plus years ago. He got involved in a miracle. Philip, come on, Philip knew this area. He's from this area. He just looked around and says, no deli around here, Jesus. There's nothing we can do. And he didn't play his part, whereas a little boy did. Andrew said, it's impossible odds. Five fish, five loaves, two fish, impossible odds. The unbelieving disciples. But Jesus took it from the little boy. 20,000 people are fed. We believe in the principle of Sabbath, one day's rest in seven. Next Saturday, we've got some guys coming from Chick-fil-A. Some of you Americans will have heard about Chick-fil-A. They, there we go. <laughs> Chick-fil-A, some of their executives, some of their foundation, some of their restaurant owners, they're coming next Saturday. They just contacted us and said they'd love to come and do some training with us, and so they're doing that. They're coming next Saturday morning. You can come if you want. You can book in. I can tell you about it. But they made a decision that they would only operate six days a week. Do you know what everyone said? You'll lose money if you only do six. Sunday's a busy day. And they said, no, our principle is we're going to do six days, not seven. Guess what? They do better in six than all the other fast food chains do in seven. Hello? And apparently, though I've never had it, and they're not coming with their chicken next week, it's good chicken. What are you putting into the hands of everyone? Myself. If, you, if you give your lunch away, you won't have lunch for yourself. He never lost out. And it was just ordinary stuff that he gave. Can I encourage you? Just keep going with the ordinary, with the monotonous, with the mundane, with the humdrum. Because life's like that a lot, an awful lot. But in the midst of that, you never know when your miracle moment of breakthrough will come. G.K. Chesterton wrote this. Grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. It is, is it possible, he says, that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. The repetition in nature may not be a mere recurrence. It may be a theatrical encore. I love that. When we were at Bible college, we were up north. And they have cold winters up north, don't they? And we were in Bradford. Um, we were just outside Keithley. And when we got to winter, it was announced on the radio and the TV, it's going to snow. Well, we did the usual British thing. It's going to snow. All the roads are going to be gridlocked. And then when it melts, it's just going to be mushy. I know some of you don't think like this, but this is the way we did. It's going to be mushy, and it's going to be, oh, snow, cold, wet. But in our class, class of 86, was a young guy called Grant Lister. Still friends with him on Facebook. Grant Lister was South African. 
That was my attempt at a South African. That's all I can do. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And Grant said, I've never seen snow. I've seen it on mountains in a distance, but I've never seen it, seen it fall from the sky. So Grant, when we were in lectures, it started to snow. Grant, he always wore shorts and a T-shirt in the middle of winter and, and flip-flops or thongs, as I think he called it, which was flip-flops. He got up out of his chair and he ran outside and he's twizzing around like this, saying, it's snowing, it's snowing. And we're looking at him, yeah, it's snowing. He's in a T-shirt. We're going, Grant, come in, you'll catch a death of cold, young man. And he said, I don't care, it's snowing. <laughs> Later on in the day, when it was a bit deeper, he was doing a snow angel out there at 24 years of age. He was exalting. He was exalting. He was enjoying the ordinary. We lost sight of the ordinary. I woke up this morning and breathed fresh air. I'm alive. Are you alive? That's seven of you. Are you alive? Life's a gift. It's a gift. Don't take it for granted. I'm alive. <laughs> I had Special K. Well, actually, it was the cheap version of Special K from Sainsbury's for breakfast. Yay! £1.50 instead of £3. Yay! Trees. Isn't autumn beautiful? Harry, have you noticed? You're from up north. Aren't they lovely? That's good. Good man, put your phone away. Good, uh, uh, got ya. Oh, the trees. <laughs> oh, the trees. Beautiful. The different colours. <laughs> that was good, though. I like that. Uh, the different colours are so vibrant and bright and exquisite. I'm alive. Can I just say, don't take your faith. Don't take your wonder. Don't take your prayers. Don't take the giving of your pound. It's fish and bread, but it makes a difference. Don't think, I can't give 10,000, but you can give your pound. It makes a difference. Jesus can multiply it. Don't stop looking at creation. Don't stop enjoying life. Don't stop praying the prayer of faith. I haven't seen the answer. I've been disappointed. Me too. Hey, welcome to life. It's disappointing. Hey, that's a good sermon, isn't it? It's disappointing. But you've got to get through the disappointment because at the far end of disappointment, there could be a miracle. I've seen it. I've known it. I'm standing in one. Marvel in the mundane. We've just been looking after my mum. As you know, she's 93 years of age. She's, uh, she has vascular dementia now. Basically what we do, we when we were there and we did this for a week. My sister does this all the time, so she's the hero, not, not us. But we move her from the front room where she has a bed now to the couch in the back room. And she wakes up, and for a few minutes she can be quite alert, and then she'll fall asleep. Or she'll wake up and she's afraid, or she'll wake up and she thinks my dad, who died a few years ago, is in the room, and she hears babies crying. And we were there doing stuff for her that she did for us when we were children or for me when I was a child. My mum used to pray for me every day. Every day. Some might say it was boring. But I'm standing here now. 
And if she hadn't brought her fish and bread in prayer, I don't know whether I would have been standing here. Oh, God could do it another way. I know, but God chose to use my mum's prayers. So that every day when she prayed, I'm standing here now because she prayed. Monotonous every night, same prayer. When I was with her, I remembered the prayers she used to pray because I prayed with her. Now it was my time to kneel next to the bread. And I haven't shared this. Didn't share it with Ange, but I, I wrote down some words. I don't know whether these words are a poem. I don't know whether it's what they call spoken word now. I don't know whether it's just the ramblings of a middle-aged man. But I wrote this down. It just says something about what I was feeling when I was praying my prayer with my mum. It's called, Good Night, I'll See You in the Morning. I used to pray long prayers for mum, dad, brothers, sisters, for aunties and uncles and all who exist. So long that my dad would shout from downstairs, you fallen asleep with our Steve up those stairs? I'm not sure my prayers were deep ones of faith. I think they were stalling the end of the day. So quickly to sign off, we pray the same prayer. My mum's soothing voice helping calm many fears. Lord, keep us safe this night, secure from all our fears. May angels guard us while we sleep till morning light appears. Amen. She'd close off with, good night, I'll see you in the morning. I pray this prayer for decades now. With my favorite people, you know who you are. Quite soon, I'll be praying this prayer once again with a new generation who's joining our clan. My wife has been struggling with being called Nan. As one life is growing, another one fades. She's tired and weary and at times quite afraid. At nighttime, no time anymore for long prayers. What can we say that our Lord will hear? A sigh or a groan is sufficient for him. He's able to hear them above all the din. The thing to remember is everyone's heard. But this night, my mother, along with your sigh, I'll say it again as we say our good night. Lord, keep her safe this night, secure from all her fears. May angels guard her while she sleeps, till morning light appears. Good night, Mum. See you in the morning. She prayed for me every day. Come on. Boring? Stick with it. Bring what you can. Bring your loaves and fish in the ordinary. My mum and dad used to pray every day for all of us as a family. And one of the prayers that they would pray was for my brother. My brother married someone and she wasn't a Christian. And I just say, not, not to wrap anyone over the knuckles, it's just not a good idea. Marry a Christian. And he didn't. And they ended up in a really awful situation. Two children, Sue, my brother's wife, became an alcoholic and she became dependent on prescribed drugs. They ended up getting divorced. Sue was struggling with her alcoholism. But my mum and dad every single day, boring, mundane, fish and bread, Round the breakfast table, same breakfast every morning, Weetabix, two rounds of toast, and marmalade. 
We pray for our Steve with his unreasonable fears. For Dave and Sue. And when they were divorced, still praying for Sue. Still pray, deliver her from her alcoholism. Let her come to find faith in you. Help her, Lord. One day I'm in the church that I pastored before in the world. Some of you may have heard this story. And I was preaching like this with a tie mic on, so a lapel mic. And Sue walks in the back and comes to the front and grabs me, hugs me. And so the microphone is right next to her voice like this. And she says, Steve, Steve. So she's drunk, absolutely drunk. So Steve, you're lovely. You've always been lovely. And I must remember saying, I know, Sue, but this isn't the time to talk about my loveliness. And my wife was there. She peeled her off, took her out, gave her coffee. <laughs> and then she went home. Sue went home, went to bed with a can of beer. My mum went to visit her because we told her what had happened. That night, my mum went, 22 years of praying for her, for her salvation. 22 years of praying for her to be delivered from alcoholism. She goes into the room, and Sue says to my mum, I want to know the God that you know. My mum leads her to pray, a prayer of faith to Jesus Christ. 22 years of praying. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. But the miracle started 22 years ago when she started praying for our Sue and her alcoholism. It took 22 years, but she just kept on going, kept on going. Sue got the beer can, and she threw it across the room. She heard a voice, a demon, because there are demons in this world. And the demon said, you will never be free. But from that moment on, she was free from her alcohol problem. She had struggle, big struggle coming off medication. But she was free from that moment. To, to this day, she runs a florist now in the world. That was her dream. And my mum said to her, what you need to do now is join our Steve's church. It wasn't called that. The sign outside said, we're all community church. But my mum, my mum called it our Steve's church. And she joined our Steve's church. She sat in the front row here. And my brother with his new wife, remember they're divorced, with his new four kids, sits over here. And there was reconciliation. And there was healing. And there was miracle. They're in the same church. They're serving the same God. They're lifting up hands. When my brother's second wife, Eileen, died a few years ago, Sue from the florist did the flowers for the funeral. It's a miracle. But it started 22 years ago with bread and fish. What are you bringing to God? Musicians, come back. Come back, please. Give, give the people hope. Give what you have to Jesus. Do what you can. And let God do his part. And then we finish with this. Jesus calls them in the story to get into groups. Was it 20s? It says get into small groups. Have the people sit down where there's plenty of grass. Have them sit around. Have the people sit down. Whenever we call our kids, or historically, to the table... It's usually because there's food there. In fact, we've discovered this. In fact, no, let's not talk about the kids. Talk about me. If my wife calls me to the table, and I go to the table and there's no food there, I, am, I don't get angry because I'm a pastor. I, am righteous, I have righteous indignation. I'm vexed in spirit. And I said, you just call me to the table and there's no food. I'll, I'll exaggerate for, for effect, okay? I'm not really this bad. You just call me to the table. Am I? No. You just... You just call me to the table and there's no food here. I could have watched another doggy video on Facebook. 
Okay, I'm exaggerating. And if I get there, I think, why won't you call us? Why is there no food? Jesus gets 20,000 people to sit down, effectively round the table, on the grass. 20,000 of them. If this food doesn't turn off, there's going to be a riot. There's going to be a food riot. You called us to the dinner table. And they're all sitting, waiting. And this is what Jesus does. He takes the bread and he gives thanks. We're going to pass around in a moment some bread. It's not communion. We're going to take communion on Friday at our half night of prayer, which is now called Touching Heaven. And we'd love you just to come for the communion, if you like. Come just for the first part where we have worship and communion. This isn't communion. This is barley bread. It's, it's, it's actually not barley bread. It's just bread. But you know what I mean? It's just ordinary bread. And I'm going to ask you to break it like Jesus did. And as you break it, give thanks for the miracle that you need. Oh, play your part. Do what you can. But only God can do a miracle. And as you break that bread... That bread that's impossible to feed 5,000, 20,000 people. Is it possible? It can't be done. The odds are against him. It's impossible. But he breaks it anyway with faith and then starts feeding. It might be impossible for you to start work and volunteer for a charity or a church. But you feel you should do it. Impossible. You can't live. But if God said it, do it. It might be impossible you prayed before many times for the healing of a friend or, or invited them to church so that they can know, not, not to trap them. That they might know this Jesus who gives them life. They never said yes before. Well, next time, they might say, it's impossible. The odds are against you. You have nine rejections. Number ten. Go on. What about the miracle you need of healing? Oh, I'm disappointed. Pray again. Maybe you've got to dip in that river seven times. Seven times. Don't take your faith out of circulation. Keep it going. And when you break this bread that's going to come round, you can start to give it out now, guys. I want you just to give thanks. It's an act of faith. With your requests, come with thanksgiving. And give thanks to God for the miracle that only he can do. Here they come. I didn't feel we should bring pickled fish as well. So we're just doing it with the bread. It's not gluten-free, so if you can't eat it, then don't eat it. But for the rest of us, why don't we take the bread, and as the musicians play, and then we'll go into a song. Just eat it as your statement.